You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Mason Pasha. In honor of National Poetry Month, the Getting Smart team recently hosted an event called As Always, A Poem, where we take a look at why all of our events start with a poem, why poetry is such an important medium to our team, and how we would approach thinking about and teaching poetry differently. This episode of the podcast is a recording of that event. We read some of our favorite poems as well as some original poetry and got some input from our audience on why poetry resonates with them. We know that poetry can be a scary word, but we really hope that living the questions, becoming comfortable with the unknown, and finding solace in quiet moments is on the rise. I really hope you enjoy this episode and find resonance in at least a couple of the poems that we share. We highly recommend you buy the collections of these amazing poets as well if you feel compelled to. You can find links to that in the show notes. And now, as always, a poem. Today on As Always a Poem, a celebration of space, intent, and poetry because we're in Poetry Month. So what better time to really share the words of some great poets? And we always start off all of our town halls and events with a poem. And today is no exception since we're focused on that today. And um, we're going to read a poem by Neruda. Um, And it says, and it was at that age, poetry arrived in search of me. I don't know. I don't know where it came from, from winter or river. I don't know how or when. No, there were not voices. They were not words, not silence. But from a street, it called me. From the branches of night, abruptly from the others, among raging fires or returning alone, there it was, without a face. And it touched me. I didn't know what to say. My mouth had no way with names. My eyes were blind. Something knocked in my soul, fever or forgotten wings, and I made my own way, deciphering that fire. And I wrote the first faint line, faint, without substance, pure nonsense, pure wisdom of someone who knows nothing. And suddenly, I saw the heavens unfastened and open planets, palpitating plantations, the darkness perforated, riddled with arrows, fires, and flowers, the overpowering night, the universe, and I, tiny being, drunk with the great starry void, likeness, image of mystery, felt myself a pure part of the abyss. I wheeled with the stars. My heart broke loose with the wind. I welcome any reflections on what that poem by Neruda said to any of you. Tom, I know you're a huge Neruda fan. So I am. No, thank you for sharing that, Shawnee. Where, where and when did you discover that? Well, actually, um, being part of Getting Smart was really my first interaction with Neruda. Um, I've been exposed to so many different poets as being part of this community. I remember uh, reading this poem for the first time that there was, I think it was really the last two lines that just sort of cemented it for me and was like, oh, I should probably read that again. Like, I think I missed some stuff. Um, There was something about wheeling with the stars that I just thought was like a really incredible line. And then um, there's just so much in here. And, And Neruda, I think more than a lot of poets is 
is tricky to read in one take because it is a lot of like one line lines or one word lines. And so you sort of like have this momentum throughout where if you're not patient and attentive, you can really kind of skip a stanza on accident and just be like, what was I, what was I reading? So it, it's super beautiful. And I love how it so perfectly describes poetry and just that process. When they were talking about the, I wrote the first faint line, faint, because you're never sure. But then when you keep going, how all of these scenes just begin to pour out of you. Um, it's just the essence of poetry. Tom, what was your first interaction with Neruda? I think I discovered um, Neruda as a new public school superintendent. Uh, trying hard to make sense of the world. Um, when not much in my um, work day um, made sense and reading traditional prose um, didn't really speak to me. Um, I, I think Neruda was one of the people that taught me that poetry is really about attending and remembering, about paying close attention and then connecting that um, to your memories. And I, I love how this poem goes back and forth between attending, um, being in the moment and, and, um, and carefully noticing, um, and then connecting that to, to broader themes. So I thought it, uh, it was a beautiful way to open, Shani. Yeah, it, Getting Smart is a pretty special place because we do start off all of our sessions with a poem, which is very different <laughs> than other entities. I can honestly say that I had never experienced it um, until I came here. And I don't know if others on the call or on the event have, but I'm curious, where did that come from? Like, why do we open with poems? Why is that so crucial? Uh, Johnny, when, um, when I became a public school superintendent, I, I guess I discovered that I wasn't part of a learning organization open and committed to learning with each other. Mm -hmm. And I made a decision really early on to start every meeting that we had with learning together. Um, and that often included a poem because it's a remarkable way to go deep fast, mm -hmm. to just open up space to sort of stop time uh, and invite reflection. And so for me, it was really about introducing into an education system moments of um, learning and growing together. Yeah. Um, poetry is such an invitational art form. Um, and Mason, so often people feel like they can't really break down what the, po what the poem is really saying. How can people feel connected to poetry if they feel a little uneasy about like just diving in and sharing their thoughts? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I want to add one thing to what Tom was talking about. Um, but before I answer that one, I think uh, there's a there's a, sci a neuroscience guy who has a podcast uh, named Andrew Huberman. Um, and he, he recently was talking about sort of like how to set up a workspace for kind of optimization. Um, and he was referring to the scientific study called the cathedral effect, which basically has to do with um, this scientific study that proved that people are more prone to having creative ideas if they're in a space with a higher ceiling, um, which is just a pretty interesting, like learning space commentary, but also 
I think in some ways starting an event with a poem is kind of like creating um, like a virtual cathedral, right? Like you're sort of starting with this kind of heightened space where people are willing to go to further reaches to talk about things that may feel unattainable. Um, and so I, th I think that's kind of a fun parallel image to throw into the mix. Um, but trying to answer your question, I, I think in a lot of ways, poetry has done this to itself a little bit. Like it did get to a place where it was super inaccessible and it was kind of for the elite. Um, and it has kind of been re-seized almost in the same way as like a folk song where it has become more the language of the people. Um, and so there, it, some of it is breaking down that expectation where if you open a poem, it is like this nut to crack where really it's, in my mind, it's more about spending time with something slowing down for something and um, really experiencing a poem, which typically involves reading it a couple of times, maybe reading it out loud, maybe reading it to a small group. Um, but I, I, I think that one of the cool, coolest parts about poetry, and it's sort of like in the words of Mary Oliver, famous poet, um, is sort of about being astonished and just kind of continuing to lean into astonishment where it happens both in the poem on the page and kind of off the page in your daily life. So it's as much a, it's as much a medium and expression as it is sort of a lifestyle in some ways as kind of how, it was, how I've always thought about it. Yeah. Kim, what astonishes you about poetry? Um, <clears throat> I was still, <clears throat> I was still reflecting on this, this poem and um, your, your comment about, um, you know, the faint line and how it's kind of a, a metaphor for the creation of poetry. But then I thought it was a broader metaphor about the whole creative process. Um, Cause at the beginning of this poem, you don't know where inspiration is going to come from for your creativity. And you may feel, you know, like you don't know anything and you, there's lots of self doubt. Um, and then you take the smallest step and then, you know, you get these, um, so, so it's like, you know, interacting with poetry, um, and, and great poetry is like really engaging emotionally and, um, and the, the creation process of anything, you know, you, you start to feel like a, a flood, you feel connected to something larger than yourself. And, you know, it's like the perfect storm of, of your, your skills and the people you're with and the universe. Thank you for sharing that. It's when you say you, you, you don't kind of, you kind of don't know where you're going to show up. It, it just kind of makes me think of my own poetry journey, which as most people probably felt very academic um, at first because kind of your first interactions for most kids anyway, is like where the sidewalk ends. Um, and then it obviously, or it should grow from there. Um, but then you go to English class and it's just, you're kind of very breaking it down like the iambic pentameters and all those different things where you kind of don't really feel the passion and the love and really feel connected to the words. Um, but then as you read more and study more, at least for myself, and then you start writing, then you kind of start to appreciate, or at least I did, that love for poetry. Tom, your connection to poetry kind of came early. You talked about your uh, life as a superintendent and 
why um, learning together was important. Um, but you also have a different connection to poetry, poetry through your uh, impetus for teaching with fire and heart. Can you talk to us more about your introduction? Shortly after uh, becoming a school superintendent, I began, um, well, I bought an old bookshelf um, and I began collecting um, poetry that really spoke to um, human development um, and the um, act of love that teaching is. And, um, and over the years built a, a big collection <laughs> to my wife's dismay, very, several very large bookshelves um, that, that specialized in um, the magic of learning and the art and pathos of, uh, of teaching. And so when I, um, after I left uh, the superintendency and um, we started the Gates Foundation in 2000, I had the good uh, fortune to introduce Parker Palmer at a, a conference in Seattle. And in the first four minutes that Parker and I met each other, um, we both uh, quickly found out that we had large collections of poetry about learning and teaching. And I said, Parker, we should publish a volume of our favorite poems about education. And he said, oh, I have a better idea. Let's invite um, teachers and teacher leaders to submit not only their poems, but um, stories about their poems, and that um, that led to Teaching with Fire, uh, this amazing 2003 collection. Uh, I think it was the best-selling poetry book of, of 2003, um, and it's just full of um, wonderful poems and gripping stories from educators about sort of why and how uh, poetry helps them get through their uh, day and continue to make their uh, their contribution. Yeah, no, that's really great. Why why is it important to to bring into why is poetry important for teachers to bring it into their classrooms into their work? Yeah, that's a a great question. Uh, Julie, do you have a answer to that one? I I actually do have an answer to that one. Um <laughs> So this is my thirtieth year of teaching, and when I was Thank in <laughs> when I was in school, I did not like poetry, and I didn't connect to poetry. Um, it was random haikus and Shakespearean sonnets, and and you know it just didn't it didn't work for me. And when I started teaching, and I had to, it's like that was one of the things I had to cover. Um, it was a struggle, and and so I decided that the way I was going to cover poetry was by having students go out and find their own poems. Um, and bring them in to share and just write reflections about why they chose that poem and what they saw in the poem. And through that, um, I was introduced to some really neat poems and different ways of, of understanding a poem that I would have um, gotten on my own. And then suddenly there was this organization in Santa Fe, New Mexico called Poets in the Schools that offered to bring poets into my classroom. And I got to be the student and sit down with my students and have some amazing page poets and spoken word poets 
run us all through a, a lesson. And students who hadn't ever interacted anything in the class before were suddenly the stars of the class. Um, I students who who um, were usually withdrawn were suddenly able to share something personal. And, and we all got to succeed and fail together in writing our first faint lines. And, um, and over the years of doing that, I realized it's such a wonderful way to build the relationships, um, which, you know, as a teacher, if you don't have the relationships, you kind of don't have anything. Um, and, and so just sharing poems that we like or poems that are funny and, and, and trying to explore different ways of creative writing where you don't have to worry if it's a complex sentence or, you know, if you've used a, a dangling participle. Um, Thank you, Julie. Nancy, do you, do you have an answer to that? Why poetry in the classroom? Um, thank you. Um, there's just something about, I'm not an expert about poetry at all. I don't teach poetry. I teach, uh, graduate learners, uh, in a master's of education and learning design and technology program. It's mostly, um, practicing teachers. Um, but there's just something about poetry that speaks to the core of humanity and the spirit and the whole person. And I don't know, I mean, besides what I had to study, right. In high school or college, um, I don't have a deep understanding of poetry. I just know how it makes me feel every time I encounter it and um, feel like there is something there that all of us should be using more if we are all concerned about teaching human beings and connecting with human beings, as Julie said, on a much deeper relational core level. And so when I saw this, opportunity to come and learn with and from you all. I had to guess because I need to know more about how it works and why it works and why it makes me feel like it does as a human, as a teacher, as a leader, as someone who's trying to inspire, inspire others. I need to use it more. Um, just like I know that um, stories, right, are such a profound teaching tool um, poetry can and should be as well. And it's not something that I'm leaning into, but would like to. So I think that's an interesting point, Nancy, in some ways, because the, the way poetry somehow occupies the space where people um, and not putting you on spot, but you just said this, but like if people say I'm no expert on this, but like I know how poetry makes me feel and people don't ever do that with like stories, which you mentioned next. They're not like I'm no expert on stories, but like I know how they make me feel. Um, and, and you could say the same for like food. No, and people are like, I'm no expert on food, but I know how it makes me feel. So I, I feel like it is this interesting place where people do feel the need to be expert in it in order to speak about it kind of comfortably. And I think that's part of what bringing it into like a daily life is, uh, helps to deconstruct. So people are more willing to just jump in and be like, I felt this skip the, the first part, but thank you for sharing that. Johnny, uh, I'd love to share a poem from uh, Bill Stafford, if I could. Yeah, I was about to ask you to read your favorite poem from the collection, so please do. Um, Bill Stafford was the poet laureate of um, of Oregon. Um, like Mason, he came from Kansas and moved to the Pacific Northwest. Um, I probably discovered um, Stafford in um, in the Teaching with Fire collection. It was one of the 
first submissions that we got from a, a Washington teacher. Um, I was reminded of this poem um, this week, listening to Marcus Buckingham talk about his new book called Love and Work. Um, and in that book, he talks a lot about the red thread, that we all have a red thread that uh, describes the things that we love um, and how we're often following our, our red thread. And Marcus, um, like me, has come to understand that growing up and we hope school are really about finding that, uh, that red thread, that, that school can be a place that helps young people figure out who they are and what they're good at and what they, what they love. And I was first introduced to this thread 20 years ago, and here's what Stafford says. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change. There's a thread you follow goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you're pursuing. You have to explain about the thread, but it's hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die, and you suffer and you get old. Nothing you can do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. You don't ever let go of the thread. I love how that poem, uh, for me, speaks of a sense of calling, a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, a sense of the things that we hold dear and how for each of us, they are a thread that runs through it. We sometimes have to explain why we teach for 30 years like Julie, uh, but Julie, Nancy, I, I sense that you have a, a thread that runs through it. Um, it. It reminds me of, again, I think it was another podcast, but it was um, with the Irish uh, poet, uh, David White, who um, talks about the fact that there's almost nothing that's taboo when you're writing poetry. And the only thing that's taboo is talking about work. It really resonated with me as just like, it, it really is tough. And we, as we pulled these poems out, like for all these events, we're always looking for poems and trying to find ones that speak to something we're talking about. And it is challenging to find them that can speak within like a workplace setting or a vocational setting um, or a calling. So this poem reading through it and a lot of um, Stafford's other stuff is kind of about that calling, as yeah. you said. Mason, I was trying to, I was trying to do my best David White impression there. I noticed. Yeah, that was great. I'm, I'm curious as I look at all of you all on the screen and we interact today, um, what has poetry meant in your life? Like, what has poetry taught you? Anyone can unmute and share. I can go if you don't mind having another getting smart voice in the in the okay. session. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I have ever really considered myself like a like a true student of poetry for sure. I've definitely found some that I like. The first poem that I ever liked, that I ever like really connected with, that resonated me was. Um, this is just to say by William Carlos Williams. And um, part of the reason I really love it is that it's like very, very short and extremely understandable words, but it's still like when you unpack, there's just like so much to unpack there. And it really like describes a lot about both like the person writing this note and his relationship with this completely undefined other person. Um, and it really stuck out to me because like, kind of similar to, I think what some, I heard some people saying earlier, like, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. 
to capture these hard to define essences, right? Like sometimes it might just take like, I think this is what, like 20 words. Okay. I'm going to ask you to read the poem. Can you read for us? This is just to say. Yes. Um, I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me. They were delicious. So sweet and so cold. Thank you for sharing that. Mason, we talked a lot about why poetry matters. Um, how does one feel inspired to write a poem? There's so many different ways. How are you inspired? Yeah, um, that is a great question. I So for a little bit, I had this um, calling, so to speak, to kind of reimagine how we teach poetry in high schools. So I wrote this little um, curriculum sort of to talk about how music and poetry are the same and how they're different. And typically I would use musical prompts in order to get people to write poetry and I would use poetic prompts to get people to write music. And it was just this fun sort of like interdisciplinary play. Um, And it was just, it was a really awesome experience of seeing which students resonated with which kind of prompt more because it was never the the kid who everybody thought was good at poetry was really more times just good at responding to a certain kind of prompt and then there'd be another one who if you played them like five notes on a piano and you were like okay write something to this rhythm and what this makes you think of then they would turn out something amazing um so i think that, that that's just to say really I think anything can be a poem, whether it be eating a plum that was intended for somebody else or um, any of that just more intentional prompting. I um, also am going to read a poem. This one is selfishly one that I wrote, which is something I don't actually do very often. So this is this is nerve wracking for me. Um, but the reason I'm reading this poem is because I got a newsletter, much like the Getting Smart newsletter, great newsletter. Um, but it was from the Washington Trails Association, which is sort of like the hiking organization up in Washington, where I live. Um, and the title of the newsletter was 20 Hikes to Turn Bird into a Verb. And I I thought that was just like such a great poetic line, maybe not the best subject line. Like I'm not sure if I would have clicked unless I cared about birds, which I do. But um, I took it and made it 20 lines to turn bird into a verb. And that was my prompt for the morning um, to write a poem. So I wrote this poem. The verb form of community, commune, barely makes heads or tails, doesn't set the world in motion, doesn't sketch the gardener, the way her gloves fit differently each season as days, time works on her hands, the way her city fits differently each season as days, time works their way in shaping her replaceable, irreplaceable world of precious, ever-loving things. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, before we close out today, uh, just again, just a reminder that if you do want to join us and just talk poetry every Monday, um, please feel free to do that. We read a poem, we talk about the poem, we read the poem again. Um, and that's kind of how it goes. But it's always just a beautiful way to start the week. I promise you, it's literally the best 15 minutes that you can do for yourself at the beginning of each week. So please join us for that. Thank you for joining us today. We really enjoyed this time spending with you all talking about poetry and music and being creative and and feeling and all the things. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. 
We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at GettingSmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much. 